North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. In this episode, we're talking about something we don't normally cover on the podcast, baseball. With the COVID-19 pandemic locking down the MLB, ESPN has been broadcasting Korean professional baseball games in the United States. Korean's number one baseball fan in the U.S. and senior fellow at CSIS, Ambassador Mark Lippert, leads a panel of Korean baseball organization experts in discussion on what this new normal means for players and even U.S. ROK relations. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Impossible State Podcast. I'm Mark Lippert sitting in for Andrew, and we have a very special podcast here for you today. Usually on the Impossible State, we talk about geopolitical issues such as North Korean nuclear weapons, ICBMs, other security, political, and economic matters. This episode is unique. It's about baseball. And why are we talking about Korean baseball on the Impossible State? And the answer is, quite frankly, because KBO has taken a central place in the U.S. ROK relationship. And there are significant strategic, geopolitical reasons behind this, especially the COVID-19 response. But it's also just a lot of fun. It's on ESPN. We see KBO try and get fans back into the stadiums. And all of this highlights a very important part of the overall relationship, the people-to-people piece of that relationship. So with that, I'm going to introduce our players here today, so to speak. But before I do, I just wanted to give everybody who is tuning into the Impossible State to listen to security issues just two minutes on baseball in Korea. KBO is newish to the scene, founded in 1982. That's the professional league we we know today in Korea that's on ESPN. But baseball is not new to the peninsula. In fact, there are newspaper reports of expatriates playing a game against the United States Marine Corps in the late 19th century, also a game against the Seoul Athletic Club around that time as well. There was a 1920s goodwill tour by Major League Baseball in that part of the world. And then, of course, the Korean War. The conclusion of the Korean War and the U.S. presence in Korea, especially the military presence, brought equipment, brought interest, brought a fan base that mixed in with a small but extant community that was interested in baseball. And then the Pak Chung-hee era introduced baseball in terms of international tournaments, Korean participation on the international stage. That contributed to the fan base, and that takes us up to the KBO we know today. Uh, 1982 started with six teams and now expand to a total of 10, and it's, again, on ESPN, and most of our guests have appeared on ESPN, and they're big ESPN stars, and stars in their own right in a variety of fashions. So I'm going to introduce the players here. First is Dave Scheinan. He is the national baseball writer for the Washington Post. He's held that position since 1999. He's a graduate of Vanderbilt University, studying in English, but also trained as an opera singer. I don't think we're going to need that today, but just maybe. Second, we have Tiffany Park. She is a very famous sports commentator in South Korea. Also, uh, just appeared on ESPN to rave reviews from multiple ESPN personalities about pretty interesting cultural tour she gave of Seoul and some of the Korean elements in and around baseball and life in Seoul. Dan Kurtz is with us. Everybody knows Dan from ESPN. His website, MyKBO, his app, his t-shirts. He doesn't like to be called an expert, but he is an expert on KBO, and we very much appreciate Dan's presence here today. We have Daniel Kim, 
a former Mets scout turned KBO analyst. He's got his own YouTube channel, DKTV. Check it out. Uh, he's on ESPN. He's on TV in Korea uh, doing a lot of analysis. He is a regular. You see him all over the place on doing KBO color commentary, and it is excellent. Our player representing the Players Union here today, uh, Eric Hacker, pride of Duncanville, Texas, played with the Pirates, the Twins, the Giants, a right-handed pitcher, but a switch hitter. And he spent six years in KBO with the NC Dinos and Nexoners, which is a very long time. And it, I think, underscores his successful career there. Looks like a 366 ERA, 675 strikeouts notched, and a 61 and 37 win-loss record. And last but not least, we're renting space from his podcast, Victor Chaw. This is his uh, brainchild, this podcast. It's a great one. I'm an avid listener. Everybody knows Victor. He's the head of the Korea chair at CSIS, Georgetown vice dean and tenured professor. He served on the Bush National Security Council for the director of Korean affairs. I think most relevant here is that he has written a really interesting book on sports called Beyond the Final Score, and it's all about sports in Asia. So we're going to tap into his knowledge on that. He's also a Yankees fan. Uh, my wife's a Sox fan, so that's you know a sore subject. Growing up only 15 minutes from Yankee Stadium. So with that, let's get into it. And Victor, I'm going to come to you first. I just mentioned your book. You've written a number of books, but this one you wrote a book that is all about the politics of sports in Asia. And it actually in the other books you've written are all about security, politics in Northeast Asia, the economic piece. Take us through the significance of KBO sports in Northeast Asia, and the significance on the U.S. ROK-U.S. relationship. Sure, Mark. Thanks. And thanks, everybody, for being on this show. This is a very unique cast for our podcast, and we're really excited to have everybody. Thanks for plugging the book, Mark. I mean, it was essentially a book that looked at the role uh, that sports played in the development and the politics and the economics of the countries in Asia. The only thing I'd add to your very good synopsis of the history of baseball in Korea is that you know, the league, as you almost started in like 82, 83, and that was when Chun Du Hwan was the president of Korea before Korea was a democracy. But it was at a time when the socioeconomic development of the country was transitioning it into one where consumers became a much more important part of society, consumers, consumer rights, things of that nature. And so we saw the growth of, uh, you know, leisure sports and professional leagues like baseball. You know, uh, it was around this time that the South Korea got the Olympics for 1988. The IOC awarded them the Olympics. Uh, it was a time when they were cleaning up the Han River, um, you know, the main estuary that runs through the center of Seoul for leisure sports and for boating and things. So it was part of a movement towards a more consumer-oriented society. There was a little bit of bread and circuses as well because, you know, Korea was not a democracy at the time. There had just been a major crackdown in the southern part of the country against pro-democracy activists that the South Korean military had turned on its own people. So there's a little bit of bread and circuses to, to do that as well. But since then, obviously, baseball has thrived in Korea. And then, you know, the other key date is 1994 when, you know, our friend Park chan uh, started playing for the Dodgers. That also had a major impact on the way people thought about baseball, about inside and outside Korea. Well, Victor, thanks for the, the setup there in terms of the history. Take us to present day in that KBO is now really the league that is playing both in Korea and the United States, uh, virtually, obviously, in the United States through ESPN. How is Korea playing baseball today? And the U.S. Major League Baseball is yet to get underway. 
it has something to do with their COVID response. And you've written a piece about that as well in, in Foreign Affairs, if I'm not correct. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is about sport in the sense that uh, it allows Americans to watch a high quality brand of baseball that they cannot watch in the United States now. But the fact that the KBO is playing on ESPN is reflective of the huge gap in the way South Korea has dealt with this pandemic and the United States has dealt with the pandemic. In South Korea, you know, they dealt with it very well. They never truly locked down the country uh, like we have done here in the United States. You know, they're taking precautions like they don't have fans in the stadium and things. But it just speaks to an organized top down response with civic cooperation in South Korea that unfortunately doesn't exist here in the United States. And, you know, one of the primary manifestations of that is that we get to see baseball. Dan, you just heard Victor's setup on the history. You just heard that we're underway, largely because the South Koreans' response to COVID. What's going on in KBO this season? Tell us about the league, the teams, and who's up, who's down. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on. As you heard, KBO has been around since 1982. Prior to that, as you mentioned, baseball is very popular. High school baseball is very popular. They had the semi-pro industrial league, which was played and popular. Then in 1982, the KBO was formed. The league quickly started out with six teams. It jumped to seven teams in 1986. And then for a while, in 1990, they added the eighth team. And for about 23 years, it stayed an eight-team league. And then in 2013 and 2015, the expansion teams came into play. And now you're probably sitting there wondering, who are some of the teams? We have the NC Dinos, Kiwoom Heroes, Doosan Bears. Samsung Lions, LG Twins, Kia Tigers, KT Wiz, Lotte Giants, SK Wyverns, and the Hanoi Eagles. And now you may notice that I refer to the teams not by the city where they're from, but by the company that owns them. And so currently nine out of these 10 teams are owned by a major parent company or corporation. And that lone team that is not owned is the Seoul Heroes, now known as the Kiwom Heroes. They're owned by a private shareholder and they sell their naming rights. And so the Kiwom security firm bought them for the last couple of years and that's who they're known as. And the locations of these teams are all over the country in Korea. So we have three of them based in Seoul and I just spoke about the Kiwom heroes. There's also the LG Twins and the Doosan Bears, two of the more famous teams based in Seoul and they actually happen to share the same stadium. And then we also have the KT Wiz who are from Suwon, Incheon's from SK, Hanwha's from Taejeon, Samsung's from Daegu, Kia is home to Gwangju, and then second largest city in Korea is Busan, and their team is the Lotte Giants. And then NC, Eric's former team, is based out of Changwon. So these 10 teams play 144-game schedule. Top five teams make the playoffs, and the quirk of that is that the first-place team ends up going to the Korean series automatically in the regular season. And so what's happening this season is that first-place team that's just been dominating has been the team from Changwon, NC Dinos. They've just been the dominant team right now, and they're currently in first place with a comfortable lead. On the opposite end of the spectrum, the Hanoi Eagles have been very bad. And actually, surprisingly, SK Wyverns have also been bad. And then off the field, as you touched on as well, the the pandemic has affected the league, as you may have seen or maybe not even heard on the ESPN broadcast. You can see that the stadiums are empty and there's no fans in the stadiums to watch the game. So uh, hopefully that's going to be changing here in the upcoming future, because uh, that's definitely what's missing from the broadcast here in America is the large amount of fans and just the, the craziness that is the KBO. All right. Thanks, Dan. That's extremely helpful. Tiffany, I'm going to come to you. You have uh, been in and around KBO as a broadcaster. You are someone who is well-recognized, well-known 
in these stadiums. Talk to us about the season, who's up, who's down, your thoughts, and two, Dan just touched on fan culture. A little bit about the fan culture as well for those who don't follow KBO day to day. First of all, thanks for having me here. As a reporter who worked in the field for like four years and now I'm seeing it off the ground, uh, I feel like the fans are very happy, first of all, that the season actually started. Even though they can't go to the stadiums to watch it live, they're just happy that we can see baseball in Korea. And also this year, many things are different compared to previous years, especially like NC being on the top of the list. This is very unexpected thing that happened in Korea. And I think many teams are doing unexpectedly compared to what people have actually estimated in the beginning of the season. So I think it's more interesting compared to previous seasons to watch. So Tiffany, your point is uh, that it's been a bit of a surprise in terms of who's up, who's mm -hmm. down in the KBO. Yes. Mm -hmm. Galvanizing some fan interest here that otherwise may be a little bit late. So with that, I'm going to go to Daniel Kim. Daniel, take us through what you're seeing in the season this year. Who's up, who's down, your surprises, disappointments, the dovetail off the very good laydown that both Tiffany and Dan promulgated for us. Well, uh, the NC Dinos are really off to a really good start. The SK Wyverns having a really, really disappointing season. Those are two of my uh, surprises so far uh, in the season. But overall, the sentiment that I'm getting from the front office and the players is that they're just happy that they're getting the games in right now. Because of COVID-19, uh, there were some lot of unknowns coming into the season. But now that we are pretty much 50-something uh, games per team, I think we haven't had any uh, COVID-19 related scare. So the season's going well. You know, there are teams that are playing really well. And there are a lot of teams that are contending this year. I think eight of the 10 teams are pretty much uh, in contention for a uh, postseason spot. So uh, it's been a competitive, very fun pennant race so far. But talking to everybody around the league, they're just extremely uh, pleased and happy that we are getting all the games in that we are supposed to get it in. And just the quality of the play have been pretty good. So uh, so far, it's so good. Uh, I, I hope everything pretty much stays the same here in KBO. All right. Thanks, Daniel. That's great stuff. All right. So I'm going to go to Dave Shinen. Dave, you are the National Major League Baseball correspondent for the Washington Post. You actually dabbled in the KBO in terms of a couple of articles. You wrote a piece on Eric Thames and KBO in 2017. But I think none of us would have predicted if we would have had a conversation in late 2019, right after the Nats won the World Series, that ESPN would be showing only KBO at this point in time. It would be really the talk of the on-field conversation about professional baseball globally. Can you just talk to us about your thoughts on all of this, number one? And then number two, obviously, what's going on with MLB? What's going to happen with this kind of 60-game proposal that's out there? Your thoughts on those two items? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on here. I feel very much like an interloper um, who has no background whatsoever uh, with Korea or the KBO. And it's really cool to be here. I've found that the more I've learned about the KBO, the more I've just embraced it and, and come to love it. And, and I want nothing more in the world than to someday take Mark up on his offer to uh, attend a game together out there. You know, 
I do look at it as sort of a silver lining in this entire, you know, cloud that's over the world, uh, over the sports world. The KBO has been, um, I think, a huge boost to a lot of people in, in America. I mean, we, we've been starved for live sports and baseball fans have been starved for live baseball. And I think there's, I mean, I can tell you personally, I have an editor at the Post who has become a devotee of the KBO through these ESPN games just because she loves baseball and it, it's it's what we have right now. And I think it's more than that, though. I think that, that the KBO is, as you know, all of you know, is just really endearing and and high quality baseball but with a certain something extra that you know we don't even have in America and uh, I think that's the atmosphere it's the style of play it's something that makes the KBO so appealing to baseball fans and and I, I think it's been a phenomenal success and I'm not even talking about the ratings I don't even know what the ratings have been as for major league baseball I mean you know, we're right in the center of, of this storm. And at this point, I think it's very tenuous. I think it's very much up in the air, whether this thing will get off the ground in regards to a regular season. I mean, the situation changes hour by hour. You know, there's more positive cases. There's more testing problems. There are more players opting out. I think the biggest problem you have is with the testing and the fact that you're in danger of losing the confidence of the players. And if you lose the confidence of the players, you're going to see, you know, wholesale players uh, opting out of the season. You know, I mean, I mean, it's very prominent right now that Mike Trout, the, you know, best player on the planet consensus is on the fence about whether to play or not. And, and if you start losing the Mike Trout's, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. And I'm not sure that this thing will get off the ground if that's the case. So it's hanging on by a thread right now. So Dave, one quick follow-up to that. Thanks for that. That's excellent. What should we be looking for in terms of resumption of MLB? What are some of the key indicators that we're going to play or we're not going to play? What are you watching as a reporter? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm watching what the players say. I mean, you've had uh, some very prominent players um, expressing a lot of reluctance. And, and I don't just mean Mike Trout. He is the most prominent, of course, but Buster Posey and Chris Bryant. The whole thing depends on the players buying in. That's it. I mean, you can't do this without the players. And you also can't do this without the stars. You know, um, I mean, you could always go out there and find, you know, 30 minor leaguers to take their spots or whatever. But but this this endeavor doesn't work without the Mike Trouts and, and Chris Bryant's. So I'm reading quotes, you know, I'm trying to get on Zoom calls with, with players and managers to, to check in on certain teams. Um, I, I'm reading everything. I, I want to see what the players are saying, because that ultimately is, is how this is all going to work or not work. All right. Thanks, Dave. Great stuff. All right. We didn't rehearse this in advance, but you mentioned the players. And that brings us to our player here today, Eric. Eric, you know, your thoughts as a former player, both on the MLB situation, and then walk us through your thoughts on the KBO season through the lens of a foreign player. And just if you want to get into it a little bit, opportunities that this might present to foreign players working on KBO and other thoughts along those lines. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's always nice to be on and, and talk about a, some KBO and, and, and Korea and the different aspects. But 
it's a really extremely difficult situation from so many different angles for everybody that I don't know if it's fair for any of us to really have an opinion or judge somebody else's opinion on whether players should play or not play, you know, from an MLB standpoint, it seems to be that the guys that have established careers and have done very well for themselves are the first guys to step down and say, I'm not going to play. And I think, you know, I think it's easy for all of us to question that and all that. And it's extremely difficult for those players to make those decisions. But ultimately, you know, they're making a decision that's best for, you know, their family in the current situation as they think about moving forward. You know, for a young guy that's trying to establish himself you know, they don't want to miss out on that opportunity, right? It may be their break to play in the big leagues. It may be their year and they don't want to miss on that. You know, and it's, it's, it's so difficult because you have to find a way to, you know, provide for your family and all of these different aspects. So, you know, I just don't know if it's easy for any of us to make these decisions for others or even have an opinion. The lens and, and the, what the KBO is getting right now for the foreign players in the KBO, you know, these guys now have an opportunity that maybe they didn't have before that they never even thought they would have that they get to play on nationally televised TV. And, you know, especially for the guys that have a desire to possibly come back to the major leagues. Now they're kind of in the spotlight. And so for these guys that are putting up big numbers and doing their thing in the KBO, you know, now they're talked about a lot more where if we weren't dealing with this COVID situation, a lot of people wouldn't even know who these guys are. So a lot of these guys are going to benefit from this opportunity. You know, I think it's extremely difficult for all of them. I mean, you know, you got to imagine these guys, you know, jumping on an airplane, traveling across the world to a country that they have never been to. They don't speak the language. Most of them have no idea what they're getting themselves into. You know, a lot of them are leaving their family and their kids behind, you know, and trying to perform at a high level, at a professional level without your number one supporting cast in life is is extremely difficult when the situations are normal, right? You know, when when life is normal and you, you're not having to worry about COVID and all the pandemic stuff that's going on, and you can make yourself comfortable with going out and finding comfort in life, sure, it's much easier to be successful. But now these guys are now losing that as well. So I can only imagine what these guys are going through right now. It's got to be extremely difficult for them and for these guys to work through that and then being able to just step on the field and, and, and be successful without the fans. I mean, the fans is what energizes us to push ourselves to the next level in so many different situations. You kind of have those guys that rise to the occasion, if you say, right? You know, in the big moments, some guys are just those guys and now they don't they don't have that to feed off of. So now they're trying to find different ways of doing that. And it's going to be all about what these guys make of themselves. They go to a foreign country, they go to the KBO, and you know, now they're trying to figure out how do they adapt in these unfortunate circumstances to be successful without coaching, without family, without the things that they maybe thought that they were going to have originally. And I think it's going to show a lot about what these guys are. And I think, you know, obviously, as we move forward, these guys are going to have that opportunity to be in the spotlight. Excellent. Thanks, Eric. Great stuff. I'm going to go uh, quickly to Daniel and then Tiffany, just to follow up on Eric's comments. Daniel, you know, your thoughts on this, the reaction of the foreign players in KBO this season and the impact, you know, kind of the MLB piece is having on KBO uh, as you follow KBO day to day. Well. 
just like what uh, Eric said, they're definitely uh, getting a lot of attention. If you think about what's happened in, with, in KBO for the last three or four seasons, I think guys like Eric Thames and Meryl Kelly and Josh Lindblom, they deserve a lot of credit. They came to KBO uh, pretty much as a uh, you know 4A type player, and then they re-established their value, and then they went back to the uh, Major League Baseball and got multi-year contracts. So I think that's one of the reasons why uh, ESPN uh, decided to broadcast KBO League games. And uh, just like uh, Eric just said, I think in a normal year, uh, none of this would have happened. So because of COVID-19, because KBO League games are now on ESPN pretty much every day, I think uh, these guys are getting a lot of attention. And uh, I think some of them will actually benefit from all the attention at the end of the year. And Tiffany, you earlier discussed the fact that the surprise nature of the KBO standings this year has galvanized some fan support. Can you talk about these other pieces that Daniel just mentioned, Eric mentioned, in terms of what it's doing to KBO this season and just your thoughts writ large on these issues? I think it's definitely giving uh, Korean players a different opportunity. As Eric said, if it weren't COVID-19, then people in the States wouldn't know any of the players who are playing in, in Korea. And now, since it's being aired on ESPN, it seems like many of the Korean players know that this is their sole opportunity to show their talent to the world. And it could be a new door for them to uh, move on to Major League Baseball. So I think it gives motivation to the players in Korea. And also, it's been a huge issue that uh, Korean baseball organization is getting this much support and highlight on the league worldwide. So I think even fans are very excited. And I think this could be a new step to KBO. Can I piggyback on that a minute? You know, I think also not just speaking of the the opportunity from the players that's that's coming from this, it's but it's everybody that's involved in the game, right? From the booth, from the broadcast, from the media, from the coaching staffs. So many people are benefiting from this opportunity that is amazing because you know they never thought that they were going to get these opportunities now, and so now they're getting a chance to be on national television to show people who they are, to show people their knowledge of the game, and so now. You know, I think it's just going to be a domino effect that we're going to see lots and lots of people around the game with the KBO. They're going to get bigger opportunities. I can add on to that. <laughs> I'm one of those people who got the got the opportunity. <laughs> For me personally, it was a dream come true moment when I was on ESPN, thanks to Danielle Keane. I grew up watching MLB and NBA on ESPN and never, never thought that I would be on ESPN. And even my cousins and my friends all in the States, they were very surprised to see me on ESPN. And it was a very uh, precious opportunity to introduce my country to the world. And I was very honored. And uh, there were some articles talking about me and I never thought of that moment coming true. And it just was a very surprising and very breathtaking moment for me. No, great stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm looking for my Daniel Kimball lunchbox, uh, you know, in Target uh, these days uh, after uh, all the, the fame he's gotten. And, and Tiffany, it's a great point. There's a whole bunch of us who really labored to, I think, uh, share 
KBO with the United States and other audiences. And this, this opportunity has propelled a whole host of us into, you know, I think a different place in terms of satisfaction with our association or just fandom of the sport. This brings me to Victor. Victor, we're talking about the opportunities that KBO presented Korean and foreign baseball players in the league and some of those who work in and around it, as Eric and Tiffany have underscored. How about the alliance? How about the overall relationship between the United States and the Republic of Korea uh, in the context of all of this? I think it is quite important. You know, the when we talk about the alliance, we're usually talking about high politics, dealing with the North Korean nuclear threat, relations in the region, trade, non-proliferation, things of this nature. But baseball shows that, you know, there's a great deal of commonality between Koreans and Americans as people, the things that they like, the things that they like to do, the values that they believe in. As I wrote my book, sports is the ultimate liberal value in the sense that it is a competition where the most capable are the ones who do well. They all play along the same rules, like nobody gets advantages for the most part. And so I think it's very important that, you know, when KBO is being played in the United States and Americans who are quarantined are sitting there looking for live sports to watch and they get to see these players playing a game that they understand and they see Americans playing it as well, you know, it draws a connection there. And that's important in general because you know, much as we hate to admit it, for people like me and Mark who work on Korea and Asia, Americans' general knowledge of Korea is fairly low. I mean, it's a key ally. Korea has fought with the United States in every war since the Korean War. They're a key ally. And yet, when you survey Americans, like only 50% get right, which is the good Korea, South Korea or North Korea? <laughs> that's 50%. So that's random almost, right? And so... Uh, in that sense, I think uh, baseball is very important for people-to-people diplomacy. Mark's never going to say this, but, you know, when he was ambassador in Korea and, you know, I hung out with him every once in a while, um, his ability, and it wasn't manufactured because, as you all know, he's a player himself, played uh, in college, that his love for baseball became a natural connection between he and, and the Korean people. But his love for baseball just overflowed into his job as ambassador uh, representing the United States and Korea. And it created these connections that I saw with people on the street, with kids. Like he used to have these baseballs with his signature on them that he used to hand out to kids. And you can just think like a kid who received at six years old who gets that from the U.S. ambassador, he's going to remember that for the rest of his life. And it's going to affect the way he thinks about the United States and the alliance. So it's really cool stuff. Right. That at the high politics level, we don't talk about as much, but it's actually very important for the long term future of the alliance relationship between the United States and Korea. No, thanks, Victor. And, you know, I'm going to send the, the podcast to my mother who asked me why I was just going to baseball games and eating all this fried chicken and drinking beer all the time. And, you know, I said, you know, advancing national security interests of the United States. But uh, no, in all seriousness, I, I think you're exactly right uh, in terms of the opportunity to connect with everyday Koreans, uh, everyday in quotes, you know, people who you wouldn't bump into in the policy circles, right? And it's just expanding that aperture outwards and and building bridges. And that's what uh, key role of the embassy and the ambassador is in the relationship. Okay, we're going to go a little deeper on baseball. Uh, we're going to pick up some of the themes that Eric and Tiffany and Daniel brought up. And I'm going to go to Dave. Uh, Dave, as I mentioned at the top, you've written a piece on foreign players, a very famous foreign player in KBO, Eric Thames. And your piece was back in 17 and was all about how Mr. Thames 
revived his career through what you call the Korean Enlightenment. And the piece also goes on to reference uh, Cecil Fielder and his time in Japan. And on the pitching side, we're probably going to have another test of this with a player who was just mentioned a little while ago, Josh Lindblom, who was the MVP last year. Very effective pitcher for my team, the Doosan Bears, and he's back with the Brewers. Dave, can you talk about what that process that you described that Eric Thames went through, how it's helping major league players and things that players might think about in these, especially KBO, but there are other leagues out there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, at one time, maybe a decade ago or so, American players might have viewed the KBO as, you know, sort of a, a paycheck opportunity. You know, if, if you found yourself sort of frozen out of MLB, you, you couldn't quite crack uh, the majors. You were considered this 4A type of player. You would go to Korea and make more money than you could in the minor leagues in America. And I have no problem with that at all. That's, you know, that did a lot of players from America really well. They provided for their families or whatnot. But I do think what uh, the Eric Thames example uh, especially showed was just how you can go there, immerse yourself in that game and that culture, better yourself not only physically, but but sort of spiritually, emotionally, turn yourself into a different type of player and come back as a, you know, completely uh, rejuvenated and reinvented athlete. And it takes a certain mindset. I mean, it takes somebody like Eric, who I think is curious by nature, worldly in a way. And, you know, you, you all would know better than me just, just how he embraced that. And he embraced the culture and he, he, he didn't just sit in his hotel room and sit alone and just stay an American. You know, he tried to become um, part of the culture there. And uh, I think that was a huge part of his reinvention was the emotional, spiritual awakening that, that it sort of gave him. And, and I, I wouldn't say that this uh, path is for everyone. I don't see it happening like Real frequently, although Lindblom, you know, is another great example. But but there's going to be guys like that, and it's going to keep happening. Who go there and discover something about themselves and about you know the the game, and are going to come back uh, as better players, and it's going to keep happening. You just set up our Eric here today with us, Eric Hacker. Eric, you were known for very similar approach in Korea about embracing the culture. Your love of all things Korea. And, you know, talk about that uh, in terms of what Dave just uh, outlined for us in terms of the foreign player experience in Korea related to success. Yeah, Dave's right. You know, I think that the resources for the foreign players have come a long ways in the last, I mean, even six, seven years since I started in the KBO, you know, six, seven years ago, they weren't teaching the guys about the KBO in Korea. It was like, here, guys, here's your plane ticket, go, right? And so it's just figured out. And even from a data analytics side of the game, it's come a long ways too. So now as a foreign player in the KBO, you're given all these things now that give you the opportunity to be successful where it was much more difficult five, 10 years ago in the KBO. And now you're seeing, as Dave said, you're seeing guys that are now going over there at a younger age, mid to upper 20s now. And what I could say as a foreign player, and if I was sitting in a room with these guys, I would say the number one thing that these guys can do is to be all in. 
Okay. There's no reason for them to go over there and have a mindset that it's going to be a one year and bounce out of the league. Because if these guys are 25, six, seven, eight years old, and if they go all in and they play there for three or four years, these guys are still young in their careers and they can still come back to the major leagues as Lindblom has done and now do it again in the major leagues. And that's one reason as Thames, Lindblom, myself, these guys, if you're all in and you buy into the culture and you embrace yourself and you get outside, as Dave said, you don't sit in your hotel room and just get out. You embrace the culture. You learn the community. You learn more about the culture itself. It's enjoyable. And same thing with your family. If you're a guy that's married with children, if they're all in as well, from a mental side, it just makes it more comfortable. And that's what I can tell you for me, that was a game changer for me. When I decided that I was all in, my family, we were all in, my level of play just started to just just go. I went from just kind of being an average foreign player to one of the better foreign players was a lot to do with buying into being all in. I think, you know, I was one of the first foreign players that my wife and I decided to have a child in Korea. And so our firstborn was there. And so we were just, we were all in. Everything that we did, we made ourselves feel very comfortable. Korea was home for us. And our home in Korea, we made it feel like home. When it, whatever we needed to do to make our living arrangements, our food, our whatever we needed for our children, toys, it didn't matter. We found a way to make it happen. And our success and our enjoyment of the KBO really took off. All right. Excellent, Eric. Daniel, you've just heard this. You're a former scout turned analyst. Your thoughts on the player side, but also just about you know foreign managers and uh, front offices as well. The influence of the international side of uh, the house coming inside to Korea and, the K- and KBO. There's a huge shift happening in KBO right now. Historically, KBO and Korea and baseball in general have been heavily influenced by what's happening in Japan, but now we're seeing more American way of baseball uh, being influenced in Korea, in KBO right now. So you're seeing American managers coming in. We are also seeing American coaches coming into the league. Eric mentioned uh, data analysis and front offices. I think these ideas are coming from the United States as well. So I think KBO in general is kind of shifting away from Japanese baseball to an American style of baseball and how the teams are being run. So I think that's one thing. I think there are more unique opportunities here in KBO for foreign players and for front offices as well. Ever since KBO has been on ESPN, I've been getting a ton of emails, not just from the players, getting from these college kids, these young professionals, they all want to work for KBO league team. So that hasn't happened before. So we're seeing a lot of different changes. I think this is just a start. I think we're going to see more, I guess, American style of baseball uh, being played in KBO. And I think uh, we'll see more uh, changes will happen in the next uh, five, six years. That sets up Dan really well. Dan, to you, with the influx of the ideas, the international Uh, influence of baseball into KBO that Daniel just described. How about rule changes? There's always a discussion about posting system, free agency. KBO has kind of played at the margins of some of these, but hasn't really made what I would call a sea change. Is that coming, number one? And number two, uh, what would you like to see changed? 
Sure. Uh, one of the upcoming rule changes that the KBO has instituted that I'm looking forward to is that beginning in 2023 is teams are going to be allowed to sign two foreign players for their KBO minor league system, which is called the foreign leagues. Now, hopefully this is going to give players outside of Korea a chance to come over, play, get developed. And then on the flip side for the KBO teams, the KBO teams are able to develop such a prospect, then maybe they could, if they have them a multi-year contract on them, maybe they could sell them back to a major league team or a, a, a team in Japan or Taiwan, because these are going to be young prospects. Another possible change that I would maybe be open to to help out some of the other Asian countries here and bring them over to Korea would be possibly open up a spot on a team or within the teams for an Asian player from, say, Japan or Taiwan and not count that as towards the quota. That's just another possibility. And then myself as a fan, something to help bridge the gap between Asian baseball leagues and the Major League Baseball would be not only to have the annual trip to Asia for Major League Baseball teams, but on the flip side, then for maybe the Asian teams to possibly do like a barnstorming tour across North America, even open up like their season in the United States, uh, the way that similarly MLB has done in Japan. So wouldn't it be cool to see like, hey, the KBO and NPB are opening up the series out in San Francisco for a couple of their games before they start head back to Asia to start their regular season. Season. That, as a fan of the KBO and Asian baseball, would be something that I'd very look forward to seeing. All right. Excellent, Dan. I see lots of smiles, lots of nodding. This could be a whole nother podcast here. Maybe uh, Daniel Kim's next uh, business venture along with the lunchboxes. All right. We've got about two minutes left. We're going to go to a lightning round. And I'm going to go to Daniel Kim first. Daniel, you alluded to this biggest surprise, biggest disappointment teams this season and biggest surprise, biggest disappointment players in KBO this year. Biggest surprise player, Changmoku, NC Dinos. Uh, I think uh, Hack has something to do with the success this year. <laughs> Played together for a while. He's really stepping up this year. He's one of the better uh, pitchers. Uh, biggest disappointment, SK Wyverns, the entire roster. Very disappointing. It's been an ugly season. I'll just leave it at that. All right, great. Dan Kurtz, same question to you. Daniel touched on it. The biggest surprise has been the NC Dinos and just how dominant they've been. And then along with Kutong Mo. And then I don't usually like pointing out disappointments, but actually Yang Hyun Jung, the pitcher for Kia, expected big things out of him this season because he was maybe looking to come to Major League Baseball. Hopefully he still has the rest of the season to get that straightened out. A little bit disappointed right now. Hopefully he changes that around for his sake and for the team's sake as well. Gotcha. Tiffany, same question to you. I think Kim Ji Chan from Samsung. He's doing pretty well this season. He's only 19 and he's uh, 163 centimeters, uh, the shortest player in the league, but he's doing very well. He has very good sense of baseball and he's an all-around player. So I think he's doing very well. And a disappointment is Lotte because during this Dove League, Lotte brought up many new changes. So I expected a lot more for them, but then because of the conflict between the manager and the players recently, they dropped to the eighth place. So we'll have to see what happens, but uh, that was a pretty big disappointment. All right, I'm gonna squeeze in just a couple more really quick questions. Eric, toughest hitters you faced in KBO and MLB? Oh, wow. Man, so many good hitters out there, it's crazy. You know, I think the one guy in the major leagues that stuck out to me just because it was a first impression was Joey Votto. You know, uh, obviously he's the guy that uh, is one of the best. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's an easy answer. But KBO, you know, I struggled for years against Taekyun from Hanwha. You know, was considered one of the best hitters for several years, and I felt like he just kind of had my number. I just couldn't figure him out. You know, when he first was basically dominating me it was before I kind of established a changeup and all that. And if anybody's seen me pitch, I'm a very I'm a rhythm based guy. 
And if you watch him hit, he's a very rhythm-based guy. And it took me a lot of video. I can't tell you how many hours of video that I watched on this guy. I would take screenshots of what he would do during each segment of my pitching. I would watch his eyes. And you guys might notice this now when he hits. He takes his eyes off the pitcher as the pitcher's about to release, and then he picks the ball back up. And so when I figured that out about him, I figured out that how I was going to get to him. And so I started really changing up my rhythm. I, I in my last several appearances get him against him. I just would use only the stretch, not the wind up, and I would quick pitch him. I would change my times up, and I would just when I got into his rhythm and messed up his rhythm, I was able to get him out. So uh, he definitely stands out. All right, got it. We're going to end just basically with the last two. Victor, do they play baseball or have a history of playing baseball in North Korea? They have played baseball in North Korea. Uh, they have a national baseball team. I'd rather they be playing baseball than playing with nuclear weapons. All right, good deal. And then finally, I'm going to just go around. Picks to win KBO this year. Quick, Daniel Kim, who's going to win? Uh, NC Dinos, NC Dinos. NC Dinos. Dan Kurtz, who's going to win? Kiwom Heroes over the Doosan Bears. Tiffany, who's going to win? Uh, Doosan Bears over the NC Dinos. Eric Hacker. NC, I got to roll with NC, man. Those foreign players, they stay healthy. They got a chance. All right, Victor Chaw. Bears. Dusan Bears, yes, I put him up to that. And Dave, you want to you wanna hazard a guess here on KBO? Final word from the Washington Post is standing mute on the question. <laughs> All right, that, for me, that's easy. Dusan Bears are going to win it, and OJ1 is going to be series MVP. Come on, Mark. Don't go there. Don't go there. Let's go. <laughs> Dare to dream, my friend. That's my motto. Anyway, thanks again. Uh, great stuff. Victor, Daniel, Dan Kurtz, Tiffany, Dave. Excellent analysis. We really do uh, appreciate it. It's been a fast-paced, fun, yet insightful, culturally significant conversation about baseball, about the U.S.-Korea relationship, and really about, I think, building bridges uh, between our two great nations. And we really uh, owe our guests, our panelists, a debt of gratitude. So thanks, everybody. Really appreciate it. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.